Hello and welcome to the Vaccine Challenge. Our mission is to speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges involved with this mega task and by connecting the various stakeholders that can benefit from working together. I'm Priyanka and today we're in conversation with jean Cedric Muse, or Jess. Jess is the Chief Transport of UNICEF Supply Division. Now, UNICEF plays a key role in ensuring that low-income countries get access to vaccines and medicines. This is something they've been doing for decades now, and as such, are the biggest buyers of vaccines globally. Today, we'll be talking about various things, including what challenges COVID posed when the lockdowns first kicked off last year, what are the challenges in purchasing and procuring vaccines, given that they're having to compete directly with governments around the world that are procuring vaccines from manufacturers directly? The distribution challenges when it comes to getting the vaccines in low-income countries, as well as UNICEF's relationship with WHO and Gavi. For all of this and more, listen on. A very good morning to you, Jess. It is so, so lovely to be chatting with you. Thank you so much for taking out the time to come on here today. Good morning, Priyanka. Nice to be with you. Lovely. Um, why don't we start with an introduction to yourself and your role at UNICEF? Yes, my name is Jean-Cédric Nies, and I'm working for UNICEF, as you said, in supply division based in Copenhagen, and I'm the chief of global transport for UNICEF. Um, we are covering more than 170 countries in the world, so our country offers 10 partners procured to UNICEF, and then we ship from all over the world, from our different hubs, based in Panama, Dubai, Copenhagen, and Asia, and um, or either directly from suppliers to all the different countries we are covering and we are supporting. And I'm also supporting regional offices and country offices for the in-country logistics transport. Got it. Excellent. Um, well, can you talk about the relationship that UNICEF has with WHO and Gabi? Because, um, you know, we obviously keep seeing these three names together in a lot of stuff that comes out. So if you could talk a little bit about that, that would be fantastic. Well, UNICEF, as you know, UNICEF has been uh, founded in 1946, uh, post Second World War to take care of the children. And in this regard, it's essential to make sure that they have the proper health, that they have uh, all, basically all looking at all the rights for children. In this regard, we buy on a regular basis more than um, I think 1 billion, 1.4 billion dollars of vaccines and, uh, and a lot of pharmaceuticals also. So the Gavi Alliance was created with UNICEF, WHO, other organizations, I think it's MSF, but I'm not so sure about this, but okay, um, different organizations to make sure that we care about immunization activities for the children around the world, and mostly for supporting governments from uh, low-income countries to be able to access at the right price essential pharmaceutical and immunization supplies for children. And in this regards, UNICEF is essentially the procurement and uh, delivery um, partner, and while WHO is the regulatory framework. They will certify every vendor for specific supplies and specific packaging, meaning by this that the vendor is not cleared for all the portfolio of commodity, but it's every time for one specific product, one specific packaging in one specific production location. 
So we are working on this in, in quite a long time together. Um, we also work with the different governments, Minister of Health, to make sure they have the proper equipment. So it's cold chain equipment. We procure and we ship them and help them to install in the different locations. So it's essential working on immunization and pharmaceutical activities uh, to support low-income countries to make sure that they have the right commodity at quality and price for caring about their population and mostly the children. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. Um, such important work. Um, really, really great to hear that. Um, now, obviously, you know, the past year, a little bit more than a year now, actually, has been mostly about COVID uh, and the pandemic, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but before that, can you talk about broadly what have been some of the biggest challenges that UNICEF has had to face during 2020 as a result of the lockdowns itself? UNICEF and all the different all the different organizations face the same problem as um, due to COVID, due to the pandemic. Governments, countries were protecting the population. So we saw a lot of different commercial airlines that we are using. And on an average, we ship 14,000, uh, we have 14,000 shipments on a yearly basis. And these are essential commodities that we cannot interrupt. So when the lockdown happened, commercial airlines started a uh, stop to fly. Countries blocked the airspace and all access to protect the population to make sure that there would not be an increase of contamination. And of course, that had a reverse ex uh, um, effect on our capacity to continue shipping essential commodities and avoiding interruption of program. Interruption of program in we fight. We, we support the fight against severe malnutrition. We make sure that we have all the pharmaceutical products that are shipped in due time to avoid stockouts. We have malaria projects, we have education projects. Of course, the immunization, the, 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 we, we procure more than 2 billion doses of routine immunization vaccines and we cannot interrupt because if you have an interruption in your immunization supply chain, you might uh, have the reverse effect to have an outbreak of a specific uh, disease. So we need to make sure that we had the proper flexibility and system in place to prevent any interruption of our supply chain. So we, we increased the sea freight, which was in the beginning not so much affected by, by, the, by the COVID. We chartered a lot of planes. We increased our partnerships with a lot of airlines to prioritize COVID and later on COVID to COVAX uh, shipments. We, we made sure that we had the proper forecast. We contacted all our countries to make sure that all the different supplies for the, for the program were, um, were raised and were identified so that we can work with different vendors sources of solutions because one of the major problems in the in in the COVID-19 fight it was for obtaining the protective equipment and essentially coming out of Asia which then had also some constraints for shipment so this is specific to PPE protective equipment for COVID but we have all the other supplies that we need to to ship and for this, we have then a, a, a diversification of geographical areas, meaning by this that for every product, we can buy from different locations. So we analyzed all the forecasts, we analyzed all the sources 
of procurement we had in our portfolio. We increased the number of LTAs for the specific uh, years uh, because it was already some geographical areas were difficult to meet. So we tried all, the, we maximized all the different opportunities of our system that we had in place for, dec for decades, meaning by this that we have global freight forwarded agreements for five years that defines mode of transport by air, by sea, by road, and for by uh, origin and destination. We increase the number of partnerships and we have the same thing for our vendors for products of goods and, and, and services. So in short, um, we have not been affected so much by the lockdown due to our experience and our flexibility in our supply chain, due to the fact that we have, we're doing this for decades and we, we could prevent the worst. Not saying that any all the projects have not been interrupted, but the major one has not been. Got it. Wow, that's just incredible. I mean, 14,000 shipments a day. Uh, of essential stuff and um, it, it's amazing right how when a pandemic happens all everyone thinks about is the pandemic and COVID uh, but of course there's uh, a lot of other diseases that have to be kept at bay because then otherwise that just um, makes the problem a lot worse um, so it's amazing to hear how all these pivots happened and um, you know the worst was able to be avoided um, that, that truly is fantastic um, well you talk to me a little bit about what are some of the overall logistics and supply chain challenges that vaccines in general face. Um, you know, you you obviously talked to me a little bit about like how um, you were able to overcome the challenges because of the lockdown. Uh, but even in a world that is not locked down, what are some of the biggest distribution challenges with regards to a vaccine? In general, first of all, uh, I think it's a forecast. We, we need to, we're working on, we have a large portfolio of vaccines for routine immunization. So we're doing a forecast, a gross forecast every five years, for five years ahead, mm -hmm. so that we can inform the industry of what will be the offtake for this specific vaccine. Then on a yearly basis, we refine this, uh, this forecast and we share this once again with the industry and with our partners to make sure that we allocate to every country, the right the right quantities they have expressed as a need. Then comes the shipment. Um, the shipments, most of the time, we are shipping our vaccines to commercial airlines, so um, that is not such a problem. Uh, we always we have special agreements with the airlines to make sure that they prioritize these shipments versus other shipments, because of course we are talking about the cold chain required commodity um, different. Different vaccines have different specification requirements for cold chain, but most of our routine vaccines are between the range of minus 20 to plus 8 degrees. So this is normally easy to, 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 to transport with the commercial airlines we have. Once we have outbreaks, of course, we, we're looking at maybe bigger quantities because we ship also the devices that we never forget because we have the vaccines to organize a campaign. We need the vaccine and we need the ancillaries. We need the deliverance, we need the syringes, we need a lot of different uh, commodities. And the vaccines are always more voluminous. So we try to see to, to, to send it by sea freight while the, the vaccines itself is sent by air freight. 
So the forecast is important because we need to know when these commodities need to be arriving at the same point of entry at the same time to make sure that we can that we can support the government's uh, campaign management of routine immunization. That is when everything works well, um, because if suddenly we have an outbreak, we will need then to look at what was the plan for this specific vaccine to be allocated, what we can reshuffle what we can push a little bit later, considering that we need also, we're working a lot with WHO and the different Minister of Health to make sure that we always have visibility on the stock levels for the vaccines, for the devices, and help them to have also the proper management. So there's a lot of supply chain strengthening activities that are ongoing with the routine immunization, not only on the vaccines management, but also on the coaching equipment man uh, management that we are supporting with the Gavilan and on renewing uh, every year with we send in new fridges, solar panel fridges, and, and solar powered fridges. Sorry. So it's a lot of work on the routine immunization. And then comes the, the COVID 19 vaccine, which uh, the Gavi Alliance, the COVAX uh, Alliance, has committed for more than 2 billion vaccines procurement for the 52 AMC countries. So there's low income countries plus self financing countries that are also taking the opportunity of procuring the vaccines through UNICEF and, and also benefiting from the support for shipments. So this is on additional to the two, to the yearly two billion vaccines that we are procuring and shipping. It is a little bit more complex because just as, a, as, as an information, to introduce a new vaccines to a country takes 10 years because we need to look at the specification, we need to look at the capacity to receive this vaccine, to manage the vaccine. If it's a new vaccine, the temperature might be different. So it's, it's a lot of discussion and it's also all the regulatory framework for, for introducing a new vaccine in the country. Now, what we have done, the international community, um, and it's not only UNICEF, it's well with Gavi, all the different uh, laboratory and, and WHO, we have introduced and shipped a vaccine in a year, which is unprecedented, has never been done in the past. Uh, I think the last example could have been uh, such a fast track process would be the Ebola uh, vaccines that we have tested uh, uh, recently also in, in, in Africa. But it, it's unprecedented to go in such a short time. And of course, the major challenge we are facing at the moment is the availability. As everybody, when we're looking at, at the routine immunization, we are the major procurement organization of vaccines, UNICEF is. So, but here we are working, we are still the largest organization uh, to procure vaccines, but we also, I was going to say using com the word competition, but I'm not sure it, it is. It is a kind of competition. We are, yes, it is. We are competing now with all the world to procure the same vaccines from a limited number of vendors. So while we committed to procure more than 2 billion uh, doses of vaccines and to ship them, we are at the moment at 111 million in, in, uh, in a little bit now, in five months. And we would have done more if we would have more vaccines available. So that's for us the major challenge. The second challenge is to ensure that once we have the limited numbers of vaccines, we have an ethical distribution of the vaccine. We have to understand that nobody will be safe until everybody will be vaccinated. So we're trying to ship 
as much as possible, uh, a large number of quantities to uh, as large as possible number of countries. So uh, the aim was to cover 20% of the population. So as soon we have the, the, the quantities available with the different supplies, WHO will work on the allocation and ethical distribution among all the different countries, looking at what they have received already, how much they are ready to receive, and how much we can ship uh, to that country. And then sometimes 5% uh, of the population for Nigeria is easy to manage because it's large volume. Now 5% for a country like Guinea-Bissau uh, uh, or a, a, a small island, and then basically, uh, I would say 20 kilos or 50 kilos. And it's sometimes more complicated to send 50 kilos than to send uh, five, 10 tons to a, to a given country. So the challenges are, are, are majorly, as I said, availability, making sure that we have an ethical distribution, and then the, the constraints of the international uh, shipping um, capacity. But as I said earlier, we have increased our number of partnerships with carriers, with the airlines, and with the, the sea freight uh, carriers companies to make sure that we have a prioritization for all commodities that are branded COVAX from uh, UNICEF and uh, WHO and other international humanitarian development organizations to make sure that we have always the right attention to these supplies. So, at the moment, we we feel comfortable with the achievements we have uh, we have reached for the moment, but we would definitely uh, appreciate more quantities to be to be available to ship as much as possible and as fast as possible. Yeah! Wow! This is. Um such a Herculean effort, right? And uh, interesting that you mentioned, obviously, about, uh, you know, having to procure vaccines and being in competition with other governments, with other private organizations that also want to procure the same vaccines. Uh, you know, it's kind of uh, resulted in a vaccine war of sorts. Um, I'm actually curious, because UNICEF has a working relationship with a lot of vaccine manufacturers, uh, you know, outside of the COVID vaccine for a number of years prior, is there some kind of, um, I don't know, are there, are there any rules about like them, about vaccine manufacturers having to allot certain number of vaccines for organizations like the UNICEF? Uh, or, or because this is such a new situation, the pandemic has no precedence, um, you know, everyone's kind of figuring out as they go is, are there any rules about this stuff? I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not as technical on procurement, so I cannot detail this too much, um, but we have, we have a lot of new vendors uh, in this market. We have, of course, some of the usual suspects for routine immunization that started to develop the COVID-19 vaccines, but we have also new, uh, new laboratories. So, pre-established agreements were not existing. So since one year, since we know which company are going to look into the production, we have tried to create that momentum, that the relationship and establish long-term agreement as soon the, as soon the vaccine was certified. But um, it, I, I'm not sure that we have priority um, with, uh, compared to other uh, countries that are doing self-procurement. We benefit, of course, from a certain weight because we will procure uh, the largest number of, of, 
of supplies of, of vaccines. So we have that preferential relationship, but not to the extent that we are have priority compared to others. Got it. But I'm, I, I'm, if that needed, I might info, I might share uh, the name of a person that will be more comfortable to answer this question because I'm, I'm not a, I'm not in the procurement department. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Well, uh, one thing that I'm curious about, Jess, is that, I mean, UNICEF does such an incredible job helping so many different low-income and middle-income countries procure vaccines. But within your organization, what are some of the factors that are considered when you model which regions should be prioritized for vaccine distribution? I obviously understand equitable distribution, right? But um, you know, different variants in different regions, for example, mean that certain countries or certain regions stand a larger risk um, of, um, you know, spreading uh, the, the, the virus. Um, I'm assuming that could be one factor. Are there, what other factors go into deciding how the vaccine distribution needs to be allotted? Is it just based, uh, you know, uh, on population? Is it population percentages or is it something else? It's multiple factors, but as I said, this is the work from WHO. Um, they are looking at the allocation. They are looking at, at first, we, since, since a year, we have worked on the readiness capacity uh, of, of the different countries we were looking at, um, low-income countries and middle-income countries. Um, this is it's a work that we're working with the different Minister of Health. We have pre-established working groups so since decades that are looking at uh, immunization activities, that are looking at pharmaceutical activities, etc. So we're working with these working groups to make sure that, first of all, we have multiple different specifications of vaccines. So what would be the most easy to manage, considering normal temperature from minus 20 to plus 8, or the UCC, the ultra cold chain uh, um, capacity that we, we require that's minus 80, minus 70 degrees. So we, we look at all the readiness and what are the capacity of storage, what are the capacity of distribution, what are the, what are the issues that we have for the normative approach, the regularization, the introduction of new vaccines. So once we have this, we have an idea of who is ready now and who will need to be working on this and that to, to be sure that they are ready to, to absorb and to organize, administrate the campaigns as, as soon as possible, because we also need to look at the short shelf life of the, the, so some of these vaccines. Then we look, of course, uh, who has received what. Uh, as I say, this WHO, so they, they will look at uh, what has already been sent and uh, what are the, 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 what's the population uh, of the country. And of course, as you said, what's the situation, the current situation of the pandemic in these respective countries? And then they do a, a, an equation and, and they then define who's going to be uh, receiving the next batch of, of, uh, of, um, of vaccines. It might be much more elaborate, but it's definitely uh, a combination of multiple factors. Um, yeah, uh, I think WHO would be much more able to answer this question than me, but from what I understand, yes, this is a bit in short what they're yeah. looking at. Yeah, no, that's that's helpful, you know, just to contextualize uh, how this works. Well, final question then, you know, we've obviously spoken a lot about vaccine access and equitable vaccine access specifically, right? Um, 
I it's interesting to note, obviously, that a lot of Western countries, the US, the UK, for example, have really, really high levels of immunization. And then you look at a, a lot of low income countries, it's not even reached uh, the double digit percentages, um, which is obviously heartbreaking. Like you mentioned earlier, until everyone's safe, no one's safe. Um, so if you had the power to make absolutely every single difference, how do you think we make healthcare and vaccine access more equitable? Um, to your mind, what roles, what role do you think governments and big companies, corporations, well-resourced organizations, um, you know, just everyone, all of these different players, what role do you think they have to play and how do we actually solve for this in an ideal world? At the moment, what we are, what we are uh, observing also is that we have, we're starting to have large donation of vaccines from different governments from Europe or from, from, uh, from America. So it starts to be a little bit better, the redistribution among, among the, the different countries in need. Um, the equitable distribution is based on availability. That's, major, that's the major issue. Is as soon as we have more, as soon as we will be able to spread more. Um, I think it is, it is in the mind of everybody that nobody will be safe until, until everybody is vaccinated. But there is also an understandable priority for some countries to take care about their population first. And some of the countries, low-income countries and middle-income countries have self-procured also. So as soon as we have this, we, we try to be as equitable as possible. I, I don't think I have the right vision to say, okay, we should do this or we should do that. Uh, I, I believe that it, it is an unprecedented situation. We would like much more consideration for equitable distribution among everybody. Um, it is in the right direction now because we start to have more quantities available. We start to see much more donation in kind uh, um, um, coming in from the different countries, um, as I said. But to see exactly what would, what should be done uh, in the future to avoid this, uh, I don't think I have the right uh, magic words to, 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 yeah, I don't have the right solution. Um, no, you, 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 I come, I come short here. Um, yeah, no, I can imagine it's and, uh, you know, and w which actually goes on to show too, right, that it's not a problem uh, going to be able to solve by, um, you know, one person. It takes absolutely a village of people with completely different skill sets to come together um, and solve this uh, all together, right? Everyone, absolutely everyone has a role to play, whether that's you setting the strategy of global supply at UNICEF or uh, the frontline workers that provide the immunization. So, um, yeah, you know, it was obviously a little bit of a far-fetched question, but um, yeah, it just goes on to show what a what a global problem this is, and the fact that it actually does take a, a lot of people um, from different backgrounds to solve this. If, if I can add, I think yeah. one of the one of the problems that we are facing, we are focusing on the vaccines, and then also more and more to the devices. But the problem also comes to, as you rightly said, a lot of the health workers have been affected since 2020. They have been the first frontline response. And while in some countries you have a lot of opportunities of replacement, and it might not be appropriate to, to use that terminology, but you have a lot of universities and you have another, uh, another uh, opportunity of new 
uh, health workers coming in and to help and to support. When in many countries, from low-income countries and middle-income countries, you don't have this. So that is one of the first burdens that we will see for years, years to come, is that we have we are losing a lot of experience. We are losing a lot of uh, the, the first responders, the first health, the healthcare staff, that, that is the one of the problem. The second problem that we're also facing is that we need also to contribute financially to support the different ministers of health in the world. Because they have, a, a low-income country has other issues. They have, they're facing the, 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 the climate change, they're facing sometimes drought, sometimes, sometimes floods. There are unfortunately some political unrest in, in, in this country. So the limited budget of the Minister of Health has seriously has been affected during COVID-19 to make sure that they gear up for the first response in protection of the community. And now they need to organize additional campaigns, immunization campaigns that were not foreseen in their budget. So when you say that they are, we are not administrating the campaigns as fast as we would expect in some countries, it's, it's, not, it's not a question of willingness. It's sometimes additional factors that are not helping to make sure that we can have a proper administration of the immunization campaign. So it's, it's sometimes it's, it's capacity in human resources. It is financial capacity. So that's also where the international community chips in, where UNICEF as provider of solutions for infantry logistics supports the different Ministry of Health to identify the gaps and then to complement this with either with support for transport, either with the organization of, of, of campaigns. We have we have a, a lot of, we are present in more than 150, 160 countries in the world. So we are actively working with uh, the, the different Ministry of Health to make sure that we can administrate the campaigns as fast as possible. So it's not only vaccines or devices, there are a lot of different factors that are burdens to a proper and a fast-track administration of, of immunization campaigns for COVID-19. It's more complex and that's why supply chain strengthening is really key. And that's why we are in these countries prior to crisis, during and after the crisis to make sure that we have a sustainable systems to prevent this in the future and then the, the impact, it gets lower and lower to the economies and to the population around the world. That's really quite excellent. Thank you so much for pointing out, because um, I think you're right, right? People think about, um, you know, the vaccine shortage, but of course, all of these other things need to come together in order for even the vaccines that do exist to be administered properly. Um, so no, that's really, really important uh, that you paint the whole picture there. Thank you so much for all of the incredible work that you and UNICEF done in making sure that the vaccines can get to places where they, where they otherwise wouldn't. Um, and thank you so much again for taking out the time to chat with me this morning. I really, really had a good time, Jess. My pleasure, Priyanka. It was a, yeah, it's a pleasure. And always good. And always have the opportunity to talk about what we're doing and how much we are passionate by what we do, uh, trying to make a difference and certainly trying to make sure that the children that deserve all our support gets what it's needed to to go through this um yeah in the safest way possible absolutely and the passion uh definitely comes through uh in your voice uh again thank you so very much jess really appreciate it you're welcome that is it for today from us at the vaccine challenge 
we continue to work towards our mission of bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges that can help speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines world over. If you're doing anything worthwhile in this space, have any suggestions of who we should talk to or any other ways that we can improve the podcast, please write to us at contact us at thevaccinechallenge.com. Until then, stay safe, stay responsible. This is us signing off from the Vaccine Challenge.